We're going back to April 1991, so before you were born. The police had already searched the property in Argyle Street, Oxford. They could find no trace of the missing person. They even pulled up carpets and checked floorboards, but there was no evidence that anything had been disturbed. They examined sewers and cesspits around the area in Oxford, searched nearby scrubland, and police frogmen dragged the river Cherwell to no avail. Sorry, I got stuck on Cherwell there. On the 1st of May 1991, police contacted Oxfordshire County Council for details regarding the layout of houses in Argyle Street, particularly around their basements. They were told there were no basements in the home, but a council official remembered that the houses were underpinned, which meant there were cavities under the floors and weird gaps and spaces that were not obvious to the naked eye. Police went back to the house in Argyle Street A day later, on the 2nd of May, a body was found shortly before 5.30pm. In a cupboard under the stairs, police found an 8-inch high gap, and through that gap the body had been pushed so it was directly under the floorboards of her bedroom. It was covered in pieces of carpet, but due to the low spring temperatures there was no decomposition, so there was no odour to alert anyone. Within the hour, the suspect was arrested in a pub over 100 miles away in Nottingham. This is the murder of Rachel McLean, and this is Murder Me on Monday. This week we are in Blackpool, Oxford, Nottingham and New Zealand. And I did try, but I couldn't find any cheeses from there that you would actually eat. But we're still in lockdown, so... So, so I want to preface the cheese thing slightly, because I don't want it to become a thing, a meme, or, you know, a podcast as a quirk. I, I'm not especially a huge lover of cheese. I do like cheese, but the only reason it's being brought up is because the past... Oh, this is... this. The time people hear this, this will be, be the 11th, I think. I've had to eat cheese each time to barely survive. I'm clinging on to, to hope at this point. Willpower, coffee and cheese to keep me alive. I don't know why I struggle so much with the podcast recording it. I can sit here, do stuff on the computer for hours and be, be generally okay. But as soon as we start talking over a podcast or I'm being told something about a murder, I can't do it. Yeah. So that's why I'm bringing up the cheese thing. And that's why it's over the Instagram with like Say Cheese and the James May, the cheese memes. Yeah, so yeah. This is the last it'll be mentioned on the podcast. <laughs> um, I've got a Mexican spicy cheese and a cheese and... Antipasti. Antipasti roll thing because, yeah. Anyway, that's enough of the cheese thing. There's someone listening to this now that's going, ooh, cheese. But, yeah, continue. Talk about the person from Blackpool. Go. When I win... Did you try that? Okay. Yeah, well, I'll try that one again. So I Can we just notice, I said all that thing there basically without me messing up at all and the first thing you said, you messed up. <laughs> that's because I'm speaking off... Um, Right, and actually, sorry, again, we were going to try and do potentially a meme thing where if a podcast, not for a podcast, if a murder takes place in a specific area, what cheese can we get from the area? But it turns out it's actually quite difficult to do Yeah. in reality. Or you have to buy a very large amount of cheese for it to be worth it. And then we're kind of stuck doing a murder in a very small town in Wales for the next six months just so I can get through this cheese. For the third time, go. That's it, right. When a woman goes missing, it's usually the significant other that's the first thought for the police and pretty much everyone, yeah? I know you're not a fan of these, but... Of what? These missing person type cases and what happens much... No, I'm, not a, I'm not against them, No, I it's going to say one of these cases, It's it starts off as one thing and it twists... And you sometimes don't like the end ones when they twist, but it, it it's complex. It's what happens later that gives one pause for thought and start thinking about patterns of behaviours and reoffending. 
So going back to uh, 19th of April 1991, police had received a report of a missing student. Now, students go missing all the time, only to pop up later, very hungover or whatever. And whilst there are no rules on the 24, 48 hours uh, missing to report someone, although there's a popular misconception that there is, police took this missing student a little bit more seriously as a report came from the college authorities at St Hilda's College in Oxford. One of the tutor's students had failed to turn up for a meeting and an exam, which again... People miss meetings, but the tutor was absolutely adamant that something was wrong and hadn't been able to track the student down. Police were convinced enough to actually start making inquiries, especially when it was learnt that the student's housemates had not seen them for at least five days Also, It had been Easter, which moves. I've never gotten that, and I've even had a vicar explain it to me, but I still don't get why, but this was Easter. Anyhow, most of the housemates were away and they drifted back to start term again. So no one really realised she was missing to start. I was going to ask that. Is it just an awkward turn of events where five days of anyone not coming home would be a weird thing, but because everyone's going away for potentially Easter break or something yeah. that they're not going to realise? Uh, you might mention it in future and I'm ruining it again. Um, what did she study at Oxford? English literature, okay. I believe. I it is further in the notes. I wrote this a little while ago, so yeah, bear with me while I catch up with myself. Now, I said one of um, Rachel's housemates returned to the home on Wednesday, um, 17th of April, following her Easter holidays, and said that the window of the victim's room were open and her clothes were there. So they figured she was just, she was working because she did have a part-time job or she was just out. Nobody thought anything of it. It seemed fine. Now, Rachel McLean was a 19-year-old. She was a bright, vivacious student, second-year English language, there you go, student at St Hilda's College in Oxford. She was described as being five foot six tall, slim, with red hair and brown eyes. Born in 1971 and brought up in and around Blackpool, Oxford was a long way from home, but she loved her life there, studying and working part-time. No idea, but it, most students do it. She was, she, was, she was a busy girl as well. She was elected vice president of her college junior common room, was a member of the Oxford Union and Industrial Society, a Christian, a vegetarian, an environmentalist, and she also carried out voluntary work with the Samaritans and Christian Aid. I don't know how she had time to work as well as doing all of that, but she did. Now, she was still in close contact with her family in Blackpool. Her mother was head of languages at high school there. Her father was an engineer and she had two brothers and she often went home to visit them. So they were, they were a close family. And it was one of her visits home that Rachel met a 22-year-old barman in the Adam and Eve nightclub in Blackpool. He was invited to Rachel's 19th birthday party being held in Blackpool and later told police that he had talked to Rachel a lot and they got on very well together. He said that he slept with Rachel that night and their relationship developed from there. That barman was John Tanner. Tanner was born in 1969 in Hampshire, a county on the south coast of the UK. He emigrated to New the New Zealand town of Wanganui with his parents as a small child. Wanganui. I had to look it up. I just love the name. The city is it's located on the west coast of the North Island at the mouth of the Wanganui River. Apparently it's got a population of 42,000. This is actually relevant later on, so don't look at me like that. 
I haven't said anything. Yeah, it's a reasonable size, I think, for a New Zealand town. It's very historic and it's surrounded by mountains. The pictures look really nice. Did you know it's illegal to grow your own avocados in New Zealand? No, I did not know that. You you do now. They can import them then, I'm assuming. I think it's because they're an agricultural-based society. And I think if you grow them yourselves... That's why there was a lot of weird things of avocados being nicked over there and like two million pounds worth of avocados being stolen from... Depots and stuff. Depots. What I say? Depots. That's Americanism. Sorry, garage. Carry on. Uh, that's a word. Well, luckily enough, from the figures I've checked, we don't have any listeners from New Zealand, so we've got nobody to correct my pronunciation. So that's fine. Now. Yeah, especially from town Wankanaka, whatever whatever it was called. Wanganui. Spelt sometimes it's got an H in it, and sometimes it hasn't. Now he came back to England in 1986. Returned to New Zealand in 1989, but then came back to the UK three months later to start studying classics at the University of Nottingham. It's my understanding that whilst he was a naturalised New Zealander, he had dual nationality so he could come and go and live in either place. At the University in Nottingham, he hosted a twice-weekly show on the radio and apparently he was a popular student, was elected student union representative for his hall of residence. And again, he was he was a talented footballer, having played for New Zealand at a schoolboy level. Um, and he played regular Saturday morning matches with the university crew. So all round ordinary people. When police initially searched the house in Oxford for any clues as to Rachel's whereabouts, they found two letters from John Tanner to Rachel where he said, I have tried calling you all week, but I guess you're working. A call would be appreciated. Now, you're looking at me thinking, why the hell was he sending letters? We're in the 90s. People did. You've said that. I didn't look at you at all. I I put my coffee down on the table. I didn't do a thing. (laughs) I'm innocently listening, being awake and present. Right. So the police checked with the housemates and found out that Tanner had rung the house twice in recent days looking for Rachel. Again, mobiles weren't a thing, so they had a house phone. And police got eventually got in touch with Tanner on Monday, the 22nd of April. And he told officers that he had last seen Rachel at 5pm on the previous Monday at Oxford Railway Station, where she had gone to see him off, having arrived to visit her on the Saturday. So he came on the Saturday and he left on the Monday. He gave a statement to the police about Rachel meeting a friend at the station and getting a lift and he was left to wait for a train to Nottingham one by himself and he claimed in the, that in the statement was backed up by the letters that he had written to Rachel. It began, My dearest, lovely Rachel, thank you for such a wonderful weekend. Please excuse the handwriting as I am now sadly wending my way away from your smiling face. He wrote, Fancy seeing that a friend of yours... He wrote... Fancy seeing that friend of yours at the station. It was nice of him to give you a lift, but I hate him because he has longer hair than me. Ha ha. And he added, It was nice to know that you will not be alone for the next few days. I worry for you in that house on your own. He then went on to give the police a description of this friend and helped him coming up with an e-fit or facial composite to assist in the search for the suspect. Of course, nothing came of the release of that composite. But by this point, the police were actually sure that their primary suspect in the disappearance was sat right in front of them. Well, an hour after the body was found, 100 miles away, he was already in custody. That's impressive work. 
I, I mean, it might all just be a coincidence that it happened to line up in such a way. But when he said that, I thought, that's that. My first thought was, how did they get 100 miles away that fast? But then I thought, hang on, it's probably the local police force, not them. Yeah. But yeah. So Rachel and Tanner appeared on the surface to have a stable, loving relationship. During their second years at their respective universities, Tanner would call Rachel several times a week, write her streams of letters, and they would vis- visit each other at weekends. What, was writing letters like that particularly common back in the day? Because mm-hmm. if someone to do that now, you'd be like, they're definitely going to sift through my bins and kill me at some point, because letters just aren't common. I mean, it might be common in part of a different group of people, but the people that I know would be like, why are you writing me a letter? A postcard, if you're going somewhere, that could be quite cute, but a letter's weird. I think letters were more in the 80s. I was quite surprised there were so many of these in the 90s. I mean, they had a house phone. I'm guessing they probably had answer machines. But, of course, emails weren't a thing either, so... This was 30 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Now, according to Tanner, at least... They had a very physical relationship. In an initial police statement, he said that they often... I'm going to struggle with this. He said they often had sex seven times a night and claimed that on His the... His dick was like a pepper army stick. And that he... isn't normal. Or like a weird what's-it. That... <laughs> Chill out, fella. And he claimed that on that last weekend, they had had sex three times on the Saturday evening, seven times on the Sunday night, and again on the Monday morning. My eyes were watering at that stage when I was researching that. Yeah, parts, just like, of parts of him are watering as well. Oh, dear. He's got some knob rub, he does. Calm down. Right. <laughs> now, the police had found her diary, and it revealed that she had a really deep loathing for the guy. She actually really didn't like him. I'm not quoting it, because it's a bit weird gonna, how it was written. I was going to this earlier. When you said that he had sent her these things, they'd met, and they knew each other, blah, blah, blah. Is this just his interpretation or his his fantasy of these events i believe so yeah because uh, no there's no one to counteract his version of events yeah. apart from say they've found her diary and she is less than complimentary it's quite weird how it's written so i won't quote any of it but i'll post, post the yeah. links and you can go and see it but she did i don't understand why but so you you have him telling the police they were at it like rabbits in spring and the police reading her diary and thinking mm, what so they they decided to do our favourite thing, a press conference with the added bonus of a reconstruction that was filmed and broadcast on TV. And I actually remember I, I, it. I wonder what you're going to say, the reconstruction of the what? The, their last meeting at the railway station. I, that wasn't what my brain would do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, at it like rabbits. Yeah, no. Mm. So on the 24th of April... Tanner and Rachel's parents held a joint appeal for information. The police had briefed the journalists at the conference to pose questions to Tanner that would ultimately reinforce their suspicion that Tanner was involved in the disappearance. It's basically, can you ask him this or phrase... Yeah, you you send him loaded questions. You don't send him softballs, you send him loaded questions that hopefully he slips up. But it it was how the press did it without giving it away that they... They must have known as well. But I remember watching this on TV. And again, you can see this and I'll, I'll post links to it. And it was it was weird. When one re- reporter suggested a message to anyone holding Rachel against her will that, that they'll do, you know, does anybody holding Rachel, you know, do you want to give them a message? Tana looked into the camera and said, I would appeal to them to come forward and tell us just out of sheer consideration for her mother, her father and myself. 
Then he was asked if he thought she was still alive. And I remember this. In my heart of hearts, I would like to think so. And it was just all kinds of creepy, the way he said it. It was the eye... It was, it was weird. On the 29th of April, during an hour-long reenactment with PC Helen Kay playing Rachel, Tanner posed in the station cafe, strolled along the platform and replayed the final embrace and kiss they shared before he boarded the train. Is, this, is that a common thing, to, to reenact all of this, all of this stuff? Because I've, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, I've seen them. Uh, Crime Watch used to be a big thing. Where they used to do reenactments for crime watches. Yeah, that's as well. true. Yeah, because you do see that thing when you watch a, a show and it says this is a reenactment. But I thought specifically with a suspect of the of that a, a police suspect and then police officers acting in the thing. I haven't heard of that no. before. That sounds no. really strange. Again, this is another reason. This was a ooh case. So it was weird that they actually did kiss kiss the police officer as well. Yeah, I thought that. That was... I thought that myself. I thought... That was... On, I felt sorry for her. I mean, she was going above and beyond the call of duty kissing, kissing him, I'm telling you. Tanner stated, I did not kill her. I don't know what happened to her. In my heart of hearts, that line again, I know she's still alive. As a result of the reconstruction, two independent witnesses placed Tanner at the station, but not Rachel. Doesn't that make sense, though? They said he was there. She wasn't. Bearing in mind it's a reconstruction of him cuddling this police officer pretending to be Rachel and people are coming forward saying we saw him at the station but we didn't yeah. see her. Yeah. Three days after that reconstruction he was arrested. Tanner was arrested in his home in Nottingham and it was at his second police interview that Tanner confessed to killing Rachel. Although he admitted killing Rachel, however, he denied murder which meant that the case had to go to trial. The following timeline is a best guess, as really most of it comes from him, okay? So we've got Saturday, April the 13th. Tanner arrived about three, about 7.30pm. He said he was greeted with a hug and a kiss when he arrived. The next day... By Sunday, By Rachel. Oh, she, 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 sorry. Well, it wasn't the garden gnome. No, no, I thought, you, by the way, you said that he was arrested at like 7.30 and greeted with a kiss. And I thought it was the garden No, end, he was that, met. That, that one police officer that kissed him before. I, I didn't realise. Sorry. All right. Um, he, he, he arrived on the Saturday about 7.30pm and Rachel greeted him with a hug and a kiss. The next day, Saturday, April the 14th, Tanner watched the FA Cup semi-final while Rachel studied. A witness said that he saw them out arguing outside the house about 4.30pm on the Sunday. And that was the last time that Rachel was seen alive by anyone other than Tanner. According to Tanner, it was later that Sunday evening than when they were in her bedroom that Rachel told him she didn't want to get engaged to him after he asked her to marry him. She, We know from her diary she didn't like him, so there's no way in heck she was... Going to get engaged. Why does she in? seem to enable this man? If she, if she liked him so, if she didn't like him very much, why is she enabling this relationship? You are asking questions now, which is, yeah, it's, yeah. it's very relevant. Apparently, when she said, no, I'm not going to marry you, he was, he said he was very offended and he snapped. And it's quite critical because it's being offended. That's where this is going. He said that she told him she had slept with other people and he called her a tart in response. Tanner claimed she made as if to strike him and then he lost control. 
Rachel was killed at some point that night. Evidence showed that she had been strangled both with hands and with a ligature. Tanner said that he lifted Rachel's body from the floor onto the bed and spent the night next to the body awake on the floor. The next morning, Monday, April 15th, he hid her body. He, he knew that this cupboard was there and he pulled everything out of the cupboard and knew there was a gap and basically he just pushed her through. So she went through the gap in this cupboard yeah. and underneath. So she was actually under the floorboards in her own bedroom. So when the police pulled the carpeting up, there was no evidence any floorboards had been moved. Just managed to do that. It's, it's, in a, it's in a crawl space, essentially. Yeah. So that afternoon, the Monday afternoon, he took a bus to Oxford Station, arriving there about 5pm to catch the 7pm train back to Nottingham. While he was waiting and on the train, he wrote a letter to Rachel, his first attempt to make it appear that she was still alive. Tanner returned to his home and he posted the letter which the police had found when they checked Rachel's house. Who knows if Rachel had been unfaithful? Even if she was, that's not a reason to kill her. But we all know that that does happen. Confronted, confronted with the evidence gathered by the police, Tanner broke down and admitted killing her. He appeared before Oxford magistrates on the 4th of May 1991 and was charged with murder. During a four-day trial at Birmingham Crown Court, in which he pleaded not guilty, Tanner said... I think I must have lost control because I only have a vague recollection of the time that elapsed afterwards. Afterwards, I am bewildered by why I have done such a terrible thing to a person I love dearly. In court, he turned this around and said, in fact, he was being caring, not possessive. And he said, because I actively, sh actively showed that I wanted to care for her, because I actively promised to care for her as long as I could, I could not construe that as possessiveness, I construe that as caring for someone you love. That was actually his statement in court. He, he'd written a letter to her in the January before this had all happened, and this was brought up in court. And he said, all I feel is anger and rejection. I love you. You know that. Why do you not want me? I shall not give you up. He also told the court that Rachel had taunted him when he was unable to perform sexually because of pains in his groin and abdomen. That's the seven times a night problem, yeah. When he was asked in court whether it occurred to him to try and revive Rachel or try and seek medical help after he attacked her, he said, the situation was so unusual that there was no necessity to try to revive her because I thought myself that she was not dead. As I was in such a highly stressed state, I was probably more concerned with myself. Myself. It's it all really, didn't it? On the 6th of December, 1991... After four and a half hours, the jury returned a majority verdict of guilty with a 10 to 2 vote split. So the two would have been, he's not guilty, but they've, it's not always, but sometimes the judge does allow that majority verdicts. Tanner was given a life sentence, but we all know it doesn't mean a life sentence in the UK. So that's December 1991 and off he goes. In early 2003 after only serving a little more than 11 years of his life sentence, Tanner was released from jail and returned to live in Wanganui, New Zealand. But there's a segue before he goes back to New Zealand. I found a really interesting post online, which you can read in the links, and cutting it all down, apparently he was in Gartree Prison in Leicestershire, 
and at the age of 31, so nine years after the murder, he had met a teacher who was a prison visitor, but also studying for a master's degree in criminology at Loughborough University. She appears to have been well and truly sucked into his lies. She took a job teaching... She took a job teaching maths at Tanner's old school in New Zealand, became friends with his parents and mounted a campaign to have him brought back to New Zealand to serve his sentence out. There was a hint. No, there was no reciprocal agreement, so it was never, ever going to happen. The, you know, prisoner swap type stuff. Yeah. You could have one of ours. It wasn't going to happen. Now, this teacher, she had friends... Um, which is a nice thing. She had friends. And the friends were really worried because they did some research. If she's done this thing for criminology, what, how is she so susceptible to being sucked into... That's the worry. I know you get these people, the pen pals, the people that marry prisoners on in on death row that have committed these heinous acts. And that, that that's a thing. I'm sure there's some form of pathology there as to why they do it. But... Yeah. Well, she, she, she was studying criminology. She wasn't studying psychology. So she wouldn't have necessarily. She's believed everything that he's told. No, her. no. But to be to be studying criminology, you'd assume they'd be aware of some of the the fringe elements of stuff. Yeah, you would. You would. But her friends were really worried. They they looked at pictures online, which we'll do later, and they they noticed the massive similarity between this woman and Rachel McLean. Quoting again, it was staggering. One said. Quite a few of us told her it was unwise to have such a close relationship with Tanner, but she just wouldn't listen. She'd tell people what a lovely person he was and how he was under misunderstood. She said he was an extremely sensitive person who was only inside prison because of a tragic chain of circumstances. Tanner told this woman that the killing was a tragic accident, a crime of passion that was completely out of character. She spent more and more time with him. Tanner referred to her as his girlfriend and poured his feelings out in letters to her. Loughborough University became increasingly disturbed at the reports of their relationship. She was ordered by the university to either stop her prison visits or quit. She agreed to stop visiting, but she carried on corresponding with him. I was going to ask, could they do that? But then if it's put in the university into... Disrepute, yeah. Into question for a member of their people doing something mm. kind of funky. I can get that. Mm. Well, her father um, was actually, the, the press found her father. And he's quoted, he was a retired businessman. And he said, my daughter is a compassionate woman. She has visited many prisoners in various prisons and was also friends with many prison officers. He referred to Tanner as John and tells family and friends, that he has now paid the price for his crime and should be left to live the rest of his life in peace. When he was asked about his daughter's new job in New Zealand as a teacher at his old school, he said it was an amazing coincidence. He added, she was looking at a number of other jobs around the world and it just happened to get this one. And then it went quiet. No idea what happened with that relationship, what happened. Unless... Now, this is a 4D chess, 200 IQ play. Unless she's getting involved with this person intentionally, so she could write a book about it, go to his place of study, learn all the places that he went to, get involved with it from that side, get involved from it from the other side. That's devious. Could, that's good. I mean... That's good. I don't know if it, that's how I think, and that's and that says something about me, but it, now I've said that, that seems kind of feasible, doesn't it? 
Yeah. Especially some of the stuff in criminology. Yeah. Like you'd say. So you'd think, well, maybe maybe well, that would work. I, d- I did some deep diving on her name and her family name, and I there isn't a book out there. Unless she, I can't find any trace of her. Nothing on LinkedIn. There's nothing anywhere. So she obviously didn't do it, but it would have been a bloody good idea, actually, now you said that. So, Hopefully someone else out there thought that, and it's not just me, because it's, it's much like when... There's been a few points in this where I've wanted to say something, but I can't because it's agreeing with the bad guy and I keep doing that. But <laughs> hopefully when other people listen to this, they think, ah, yeah, maybe this is that. And they're doing it as well now. All right. So as we said, in 2003, he was back in New Zealand, having been deported after serving 12 years. He reportedly did a stint as a personal tra- trainer before working as a baker. And it goes all quiet. And then boom, 25 years after the original crime. In 2018, Tanner was jailed for assaulting his partner. It wasn't just when she told him she was leaving him. He actually went on for a six-month period. What happened to the criminology woman? It just she just vanished. But she right. So we've got Rachel McLean. Right. She vanished, or did she? Or did she vanish? Is, is she dead? Did he do it again, or did she just step out of the public eye for it, if you like? Well, that was my thought. So I said, we, we've, we've actually got a pattern here. We've got Rachel McLean, who's the, the little redhead he killed. You've got this teacher, who is a little redhead. And this third woman, I'm going to talk about now, she's another little redhead. He has got a definite type. Imagine being called Rachel and being a redhead. Mm. But you've got the one that didn't get away. You've got one that we think got away. And this third one that I'm going to tell you about now. So John Tanner was now 49 years old. He assaulted his new partner of, they'd only been together nine months at the time, over a six-month period. So it it didn't take long. He had his hands around her neck, restricting her breathing. They included him dragging the woman out of a bathroom and hurling her onto a bed before jumping on her and putting his hands around her neck. So again, it's a repeat pattern of behaviour. Another incident saw him threaten to kill her. And a third incident, he held the woman's wrists and straddled her before punching her in the head, according to these New Zealand news reports. Now he he got locked up again for two years and nine months. He was eligible for parole in February 2019. But had he been living in the UK at the time, he would have had to, he would have been sent back to finish his original life sentence. But again... It wasn't going to happen. Tanner's lawyer was amazing. Um, he claimed that the defendant had been dumped back in New Zealand 15 years ago without any support aside from his family. So that was... What do you mean aside from his family? Yeah. I didn't have any money apart from this millions of pounds. What? Any support yeah. apart from your family? You mean the highly crucial support network that can provide support? What kind of excuse is that? Well, um, the way it's, it read to me was I'm sat there thinking... Does anyone else think that's shit? Does anyone else think that's a shit excuse for yeah. a lawyer to use? No, it's a brilliant excuse for a lawyer to use, but it's not one that's going to wash because everybody's sat there thinking, well, what other support? I know, I know you get friend groups, you get support networks in terms of activities you do, so you might have friends at the activity, all these other things. You might have a... a um, he was deported after having a committed a clinical support mold. network. Yeah. But to say he doesn't have a support network apart from his family... Mm-hmm. Now, this woman that he's on a on trial for for assaulting, she knew about his murder conviction. But she stood by him. 
with the prosecutors saying that she was even reluctant to see him prosecuted on some of the charges of him having assaulted her. Now, he was up for parole in May 2019, but this report from the parole board, it was obvious that it, it didn't happen. The parole board said he had yet to address the factors which had led to his violence against intimate partners. And in peering in front of the parole board, Tanner accepted there needed to be a cautious approach to the resumption of his relationship with the victim. But he complained that he had only recently been approached about seeing a psychologist and that his appointment to discuss treatment had been cancelled. He believed it was unfair and a burden to have to remain in prison when he could undergo counselling whilst on parole. The parole board... You mean a burden? A burden like being attacked... By someone. He, yeah, he he's can... trying to play the victim. Yes. Whilst himself having created a victim. Yes. In the woman that he's assaulted. Yes. No. That's, that's, that's not how sympathy or logic works, my friend. No, I, I, I got a little bit... Have you noticed I'm quite... As I say, have you noticed I'm going... And then this fucking English is the only language I speak and I'm struggling. I've been quite coherent throughout the entire of this. You day. have, I haven't. You haven't. You've fucked up. So many times. At one, at one point, I looked at you funny and you started smirking because you knew I'm, th- I'm looking at you like, why can't you talk? I know you've got a script to read and I just I just say whatever's on the top of my head. But I've been with it this time. I think I think cheese and coffee... It worked. This time it's working. Last time it didn't work. So the parole board said that Tanner presented a highly intelligent and very articulate person, but he couldn't explain why he offended or how he would overcome that. It is clear to us that notwithstanding his high intellectual level of understanding, there is still a worrying concern about how and why, in the heat of the moment, he reacts to the tense situation of the type that occurred in this case. Basically, he loses his shit and he can't control himself. It reminds me of one of the cases that we did, and you'll remind me of the name, where he said, once I get mad, I can't get unmad. Yes. Which is the phrase he used. That's when he burnt down the family. Yes. Well, killed his family and burnt down the house. So he, he got two years, so 2018, he got two years, nine months, yeah? He didn't get parole, but he's probably out now, looking at the calendar. He obviously hasn't killed anybody since, and he hasn't throttled anybody that I know of, but... So if we go to questions and an autopsy, the deportation back to New Zealand after serving his sentence... I think the UK authorities can remove someone's UK rights as long as they're not stateless. And I'm guessing New Zealand didn't think in, a, in advance and go, nope, we don't want him back, you can keep him. Which they, I'm guessing they could have done, but they didn't. You know, we got in there first kind of thing. 25 years with one assault in between. He's, he's got anger and abandonment issues. He, he didn't like it when Rachel said, no, I'm not going to marry I mean- you. It's when he first committed the crime, that's one thing. But then after having spent just over a decade in prison, I think to say that someone's psychology or psyche, however you might want to phrase it, will be unaltered by the experience of that, I think is unfair. So by him going through the, this doesn't excuse it, going through the trauma of going through prison, I feel like you are more likely to commit something when you come back out because you spent the last 10 years in a less than ideal situation. I don't know whether he got therapy when he was in prison. I don't know in the UK. Well, um, I doubt it because if he's because based on what he said before of if I got therapy before but it got cancelled, it might not have happened. But it sounds a bit maybe he wasn't getting that inside. But that was in New Zealand. Do you see where I'm coming from though? When he did it before, that's inexcusable. But mm. then to have gone through prison and then you come out, you're in this high 
tense situation all the time and then I don't know I feel like you're more inclined to do potentially more violent things afterwards I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you I just I I'm, I'm not tarring the brush with every prisoner's violence not what happens but some people turn their lives around yeah um, it's more a punishment than rehabilitation thing and he hasn't had doesn't seem to have had any of the rehabilitation thing so surprise Pikachu face he goes in for a violent crime goes to prison comes out commits violent crime again where has the thing for change happened apart from again apart from the threat of prison being the only deterrent Maybe he did have therapy when he was in prison, but when he came back to New Zealand, he was obviously wasn't keeping up with it because he, he he was doing this and he wasn't learning before it took it to... And he didn't push himself to go and get therapy. So I, I don't know. Complete aside, um, this was fascinating. Gartree, where he met... Gartree Prison, where he meets his teacher. Totally unrelated. It was built in 1965... And in 2020, housed 640 prisoners, which is a tiny prison by some standards. That prison is what's called a Category B, which is a training prison, which is, has lower level offenders. But originally it was Category A, which is serious. Is it, is it training for guards? Is that always called training? No, no, it... no. They train the prisoners. Oh, okay. You, 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 you can learn a trade. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that's the rehabilitation thing I was talking about. Yeah. You go into prison with essentially nothing, maybe why you quit the crime. But he had it. He had yeah, it. I know. I'm saying prison as a whole, not specifically yeah. John Tanner. Yeah. Um, but when you said training prison, I thought you meant it was for guards that would then be able to go into a higher security prison because they've had the training. I don't know. That makes sense to me. But that's just... It's not a bad thought, that one either. Yeah. Yeah, you, you're full of them this afternoon. Now, in 1987. The prison is infamous for a daring helicopter escape. The breakout remains the only one of its type to have been carried out in the United Kingdom. How does someone orchestrate a helicopter? It was literally... I remember watching it on the... Helicopter and a rope kind of thing? Yes. Okay, sure. Honest to God. Have you you heard about all the um, drug trade done with drones in prisons? Yes. That's impressive. Like, I'm not agreeing with it, but wow. It's innovative, yeah. That's... Yeah. This is a different scale. This is taking yep. someone with a helicopter. Yep. It was a gangland boss and another chap. One was captured after 10 days and another one took 13 months to track down. Now, the interesting thing, again, this is all about Gartery Prison. This is just where he met this second uh, person, this second replica of Rachel, shall we say. Notable former inmates. There was Ian Brady. There was Charles Bronson. Uh Reggie Cray, Tony Martin. You wouldn't know who Tony Martin was. He was a farmer who shot a burglar. Um, um, is that where he shot them and, t- and he said it was in self-defence, but he shot them in the back? Yes. Which means it was. It means they were running away. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was Fred West was there. Um, so you do know it was. Yeah, I would, I'm, I'm quite impressed. With it. It's like when you knew about the Iceman. Yeah. And I'm like, you've you've never. Well, I've listened to podcasts that have mentioned them before, and just virus osmosis, I've absorbed that, and it's become part of my trivia. So. Yeah, it was just it's just weird, but yeah, you know, Tony Martin, right? Right. There was a couple of other people who I won't bother mentioning the, the people. I've got no idea what they were. So I'm going to show you some mug shots. Here we go. There is Rachel, and that was him at the press conference. This is you know seven times a night, Rabbit Man. And that was him at 49. See the look on his face. His whole behaviour. It was oh, yeah, very he sounds, He's very eccentric by the way that he's phrasing certain words and the letters that he's sending to people. 
well, he's, yeah. he sounds very eccentric. He's phrasing things in a way that you wouldn't say. Pseudo intellectual. Oh, I, I don't know because he's clearly. I mean, he, he got. He's fairly educated. Yeah. So, so I don't know if it's pseudo intellectual, but. No, I'm, I'm using the wrong phrase there. Yeah, I'm using the wrong phrase there. Um, but it was almost like he was showing off his education. Psycho's trying to reach a word count. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I've got I've, I've got to do a thousand words for this letter to be satisfactory. So, what do you think about him then? You always ask me that. Yeah. As if I haven't been talking about it for the past 43 minutes. Yeah, I know, but you, we were at the end of that, so we we had the three women. I, I'm just curious as to what happened with that middle woman, and she's completely disappeared, mm-hmm. and she's got no, tra- no trace of anything, but is that just because she hasn't really done anything else? That's... She might have changed her name to get away yeah, from it. Yeah, exactly, you don't know. I, I don't know why he got... And this, it isn't why he he only got a level life. My question is, why did he get life? Where was one of our previous cases? She killed her husband and only got nine months. I know that was taking into age into account, but the discrepancy between sentences for me is oh yeah, it's annoying. a huge, it's a huge thing. Yeah, absolutely agree. I don't think it should be a blanket. You kill someone, you get X time, but it's too. For someone that gets pulled up on a drug charge to get 10 years, but someone who killed two people in a car, they get two years. Mm. I don't know why the sentencing exists like that. It's the inconsistency of the UK. When you get into the legal aspects and the ramifications around it, it sometimes makes a little bit more sense. But when you initially get told that, people's reaction usually is, they're pretty incredulous. Um, What did he study? He studied classics. Yes, I know. I don't know though. I don't know what that is either. And how did he meet Rachel? He was a barman at. He it was, it was probably. A, yeah, I remember saying he was a barman, but did they in meet? Blackpool. Did he meet whilst being the barman? Yes. Okay. He was he was he was working at a nightclub. She went to the nightclub when she was visiting her family up there. Yeah. They got chatting. He got invited to her birthday party, and apparently they were at it like rabbits from day one. And I, I suspect yeah, which no one believes. No one believes. No one believes. So yeah, she was studying English literature. He was studying the classics. Yeah, I don't know. Is there any information on in any of his background of his family? What it? And they said he didn't have much of a. I know his lawyer tried to say about. He had his parents were out in New Zealand, and they, obviously they became friends with that teacher woman from Loughborough. They were still out in New Zealand. They they emigrated when he was a little boy. He was born in, in Hampshire, but where I do not know. They emigrated. He came back a couple of times to the UK, but they stayed out in New Zealand. So when he served his sentence, he went back to his family out there. But there is no... There's very little background information about that, I'm assuming, because it was so far away, they, they would struggle. Mm. Especially in 1991, when there's no access to the internet. Yeah, exactly. So... That was John, the case of John Tanner and Rachel McLean. And we just hope that he's having therapy and he's not going to do it to another little redhead somewhere. Do we know that he's, if he's still in relationship with that woman that offended him in court? No, we don't know. No? Well, there you go. That's the end of that sweet case. I'm doing pretty well this week. I'm surprised with how, how coherent and awake I am. I feel pretty good. I think I think me going for a walk beforehand probably actually helped. I went out for a walk for twenty five minutes, and that kind of—I think that—I think that that gave me some that invigorated me. I'm yeah. awake. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Yes. Peace.
And if you want some of the behind the scenes and spicy spicy memes, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me on Monday Podcast and email us at murdermeonmondaypodcast at gmail.com. That's all from me. Much love. Peace. <laughs>